This is Reset. I'm Patrick Smith, in for Sasha Ann Simons. You know those experiences that shape the rest of your life, that you just can't shake? Well, for a young Chicago investigative journalist, that unshakable moment was the beating of a 13-year-old black boy in the Bridgeport neighborhood by three white teenagers in the 1990s. The injustice of it and the need to do something about it motivated him to continue investigating despite the danger of retaliation. He tells his story and the story of the beating in a new podcast from the Invisible Institute and USG Audio called You Didn't See Nothing. It explores the way the media and many Chicagoans rush to racial reconciliation after the beating of Leonard Clark instead of seeking justice. And he looks at what went awry in the investigation. Here to tell us more is the host of the podcast, Johans LaCour. Welcome to the show. Man, uh, appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Take us back to when you first heard about the news of the beating of Leonard Clark. I mean, where were you? What stuck, stuck out to you? Uh, it was 1997. I was 23, living with my old man on the south side. Um, I was selling weed. I was writing plays. I was halfway in college, in and out, kind of finding my own way. Um, I had grown up, you know, uh, with a lot of with a lot of black pride. My my, uh, I got uncles who were Panthers. My mother, you know, was just kept library, a house full of, you know, black authors. I, I detail this in the in the podcast a little bit about my own upbringing. Um, and uh, and my, my my homie called me um, that morning, the morning after the attack, and told me that uh, and and it had been like uh, um, that whole period. You know, I was just reminded recently watching a movie on, uh, I think, Netflix called Stand about Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. And mm-hmm. I just realized, like, that was the, the year before when he would, wasn't standing for the, for the flag, for the national anthem. It was just a lot was going on in, in, the, in the country and, and in Chicago that year. Uh, my, my, my homie called me and told me that a little boy was beaten into a coma by um, three much older uh, white teenagers in Bridgeport. And um, it just was too close to home and um, just felt like we, we wanted to do something about it. And so, uh, you know, we, we actually rolled through Bridgeport hoping mm-hmm. to get some sort of physical retaliation, uh, which which was senseless, though, because, you know, five, six black guys stuck out, you know, like a sore thumb yeah. in Bridgeport. And, uh, and I had been writing, like, for most of my life anyway, um, just, you know, for myself. And so uh, my father told me about a, a newspaper uh, out of the low end called the South Street Journal, and I went there and started to report on it. Yeah, you were driven to report on this as a journalist. And I got to say, I mean, you know, listen to the podcast, the way you covered it at the time, the things you were able to report out, they weren't matched. The mainstream press did not match what you were reporting out. I, I want to listen to some of the coverage at the time. Police say that he was attacked by three teenagers. Three white boys have been arrested and charged. Three thugs, that's all they are. Three teenagers accused of a hate crime. These three white teenagers So we hear reporters are talking about three attackers, but you reported there were actually six attackers and that Lennard's friend, who was there from the start of the attack, managed to get away. That didn't make it into the, the, the mainstream news coverage at the time. I mean, why do you think there was such a disconnect? You know, I still wonder to a degree. Um, it was either either the people who started to uh, change the narrative and, and uh, take control of the narrative had a uh, pull with some media stations or uh, they, it was just a lot of some lazy reporting where, you know, I found in other investigations and cases that I that I wound up reporting on later for the South Street Journal, you know, I would go to the police station where they, you know, giving press conferences 
and reporters were just taking notes and they were just, you know, kind of reporting out verbatim of what uh, they were, the police commanders were saying. And so, um, you know, there wasn't much questioning. So it was kind of like whatever the police said is what was reported. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was one of the two, but it's some, somewhere somebody dropped the ball or bought the ball. Yeah, <laughs> or bought the ball. Right. Um, so the podcast spends a lot of time grappling with, like, almost immediately after the beating, there's this turn toward healing and reconciliation. I mean, Leonard was still in a coma, and people are talking about how we need to forgive. Um, you were skeptical of that. I mean, why were you so skeptical of this sort of immediate turn to why can't we all just get along? Because it didn't make sense. You know, I've seen it before. One, you know, we, we see, saw it in Rodney King. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and, and you see where, you know, it's a, uh, it's it's – it runs counter to uh, what's comfortable for America, for black folks to, to stay mad and be mad and act on that anger uh, in response to cases like this. So you see uh, different forces in white America push for uh, those black victims to uh, to kind of leave it alone, back off. You know, it, it's kind of like when, uh, you know, you, you look at these cases where black folks are, are mistreated, victimized, beaten or whatever by police, and it's just a... Uh, you know, we'll, we'll pay you off. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. give you this money, which which the victims obviously need. Just don't say nothing. You know, part of the agreement is, you know, just leave it alone. You know, you're not going to pursue nothing. Just be quiet because um, we just want to keep that type of sentiment to a minimum. And so, uh, yeah, it, I, I feel like uh, it, it was a, a kind of textbook um, play on the part of, uh, of uh, politicians, police, and the press and just white media uh, in general, and so that that uh, that, that's all I could attribute it to. So, so that immediate turn to to forgiveness or a call for forgiveness, it wasn't unique, but it still stood out to you as like this doesn't make sense. This is not how we should be responding to this right now. Well, it was more like I'm I'm sick of seeing this kind of response. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was past not making sense. It was disgusting, and it's like we still doing this. Um, and and in a case like this, where it's like you got a little boy who was beaten into a coma left for dead by by young men um and it was it was more than you reporting it's in the it's in the I mean Bridgeport was like a sundown town uh, of a neighborhood in the city and so you know to run that narrative in in this instance of all places it was just it added a lot of insult to a lot of injury you mentioned Bridgeport being like a sundown town um your podcast presents very vivid descriptions of Bridgeport on the city's south side. The neighborhood almost becomes its own character. Let's listen to some of that. It's always been tough territory. The neighborhood of Chicago's vast slaughterhouses scored by the Chicago River, roadways, elevated tracks, and railroad lines. That was NPR. But this my little homie Pee Wee. It's where you you can get spit on and called it <laughs> and, and that's where our mayor is from. Both of them. And just a note there, when he's talking about both mayors, he's talking about the Richard J. Daly, Richard M. J. Richard M. Daly. So, Hans, why did you want to spend so much time describing the place and showing the different ways that Bridgeport was understood? Uh, because it's it's one of those things people don't know enough of and need to know more of uh, in the city and outside of the city. You know, you got you got youngsters today who don't even understand what Bridgeport was. It's like it's like black Americans not understanding what Tulsa was, mm. right, and Black Wall Street, right? It's um it's one of those pieces of history that you just need to know more about. Uh and, and, and the main reason is because it was it was such a fixture in our lives. It was so understood. 
like, you know, most of us didn't even know when we heard and realized that Bridgeport was what it was. You just knew that coming up, like 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 your ABCs. You don't remember when you were taught, but you know it. Um, I mean, you listen to Pee Wee talking about it, and he laughs. And it's one of those laughs where you're so used to it, you've come to embrace it. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. It's just a fact of life. And, it's just, you know, and so it's, it's and it, as, is, as is a lot of... Uh, uh, extreme racism for for us in, in America and Chicago. So it was just it was uh, it's something that needs to be known and put out there, just like this case in general. Yeah, this is reset. I'm Patrick Smith in for Sasha and Simons. We're talking about you didn't see nothing, a new Chicago podcast from the Invisible Institute and USG Audio that tells the story of the beating of a 13 year old black boy by three white teenagers in Chicago's Bridgeport neighborhood on the South Side. Leonard Clark was filling his bike's tires with air when he was attacked in the late 1990s. We're talking with the host of the podcast, Johans LaCour, whose story also gets told in this podcast. And, and Johans, one thing I really loved about, about your show is that we really got to know you as a narrator, your life, your perspective. And, and that can be a tricky line to toe as a host. Like, how much of myself do I put in or, or how much do I sort of let the story play out without me there? Did you always know in your head that that you would need to really be a part of the story to tell it properly? No, no. Actually, the initial plan was just to revisit the story as a as a as a major Chicago story and a major piece of Chicago history. Um, but it was, you know, after kind of wrestling with how to do that, uh, that we kind of decided that telling my involvement in the story offered like a real unique perspective, especially since. You know, I've been to prison. I was gone for 10 years, and I was coming back to tell this story. So I had to kinda, that kind of dual perspective on, on what's going on today from, a, from having been removed from, from society for so long. So I think we just kind of decided that it, yeah, it, would, it would make it even more interesting. You talked about the plan for this. My understanding is that the idea for this po- podcast came out of the protests and the unrest that we saw in 2020 after the, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, how, how did that sort of lead to this podcast? I mean, did you feel like history had been forgotten here? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. History had, uh, it hadn't even been forgotten because it had never properly been told. And so it was a story that, uh, the Lenar Clark story, because it happened at a time when we didn't have social media and you didn't, you know, have a, a million people being able to see stuff on, on Instagram and chime in. Um, that's why it was so easily uh, discarded. And so, but at the time, it was like the Trayvon Martin. Oh, thank God that Lenar survived and rest in peace to Trayvon. But it was like the Trayvon Martin of that time for Chicago. The president was talking about this case. And, and so how was the president talking about a case that so few people ever understand? It just doesn't make sense. So it was also just a story in and of itself that needed to be told so that it could be remembered. There is some appalling, just like out in the open racism displayed by Bridgeport folks at the time. I mean, how did it feel for you as the the host, the reporter, to have to be in the studio repeating some of those racist comments as you're hosting? I mean, putting together a podcast means you're going over the same tape, you're going over the same scripting over and over. What did it do to your psyche to spend this much time kind of like waist deep in the racism and the violence you're exploring in this season? Man, to be for real with you, um, just like I referenced my buddy laughing about as he describes how racist Bridgeport is, it's so second nature. It's so part of 
black life. It's, you know, the racism, American racism, Bridgeport-style racism. It's it's like, you know, um, it's, it's part of the air we breathe. So, you know, going over those lines again and again, I mean, they served as reminders, and, it you know, it's, you know, it's not like it was in, like I had fun to right. remembering it, but it, it it really wasn't much different than talking about, you know, whether McDonald's or Burger King got a better burger. It's just <laughs> it's just a thing out here. Uh, all the episodes uh, of the the season are titled after Tupac songs. What? Why is that? Uh, so one, um, and you're the first person that, that uh, I'm, I mean, I'm sure other people have noticed. You're the first person that interviewed me that, that noticed and made mention. Um, one, Tupac was one of my favorite artists, probably my favorite artist, probably to me, in my opinion, uh, the greatest artist, rap artist of of all time. Right, he's the goat, uh, and so and 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 he was a heavy influence on me at the time. He just passed, so I was like, his music was on like heavy every rotation. That's all we was listening to. Me and my guys. He was also Lenard Clark's favorite favorite artist. He was even a, a a favorite of one of the Bridgeport guys who who eventually got yeah. wound up being murdered. Uh, what I believe was probably behind this case. What a lot of people speculate was probably behind this case. And so Tupac was just, he kind of set the tone for the times. Um, and like this story, uh, Tupac's music for the most part is still so relevant today. What has the real quick? What's the reception been like to the podcast? I mean, I know I love it. What have you heard from others? Man, it's been amazing, um, and I'm thankful. Um, it's overwhelming, actually. It's been, um, I mean, people are talking about how it's changed the genre and, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, amazing journalists and media folks and people in the podcast world are, like, making it, you know, a mission to uh, make sure everybody hears it, which is just, um, is validating, man, and um, it's uh, it's humbling. Um, the I, I, the feedback is it's just been it's been overwhelmingly positive. Well deserved. That is Johannes Lacour, investigative journalist and host of You Didn't See Nothing. Check it out wherever you get your podcast. Johannes, Johannes, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you, man.